Well, if you've got a bulletin on the way and there is a, an outline in that, I'll help you follow along a little bit with where we're going to go today. Today being graduation day, uh, both here in Everett and, um, and in Chip Hills, I guess, later today too. Uh, it means that we are in the middle of commencement speech season. There's a lot of cliches that get shared in commencement speech season this time of year. Some good advice, some not the greatest advice necessarily, but um, 13 years ago when our middle son Ryan graduated, I was asked to speak at baccalaureate, and um, I uh, decided to use a part of a list that I found titled An Old Farmer's Advice. Uh, we got some farmers in the graduating class uh, this morning, so I pulled it back out of the file. Ryan worked uh, for Gary for a little bit before he uh, headed off to college, and so it was very fitting. So this is old farmer's advice. Your fences need to be horse high, pig tight, and bull strong. Um, secondly, do not corner something you know is meaner than you. Uh, when you wallow with pigs, expect to get dirty. That's probably true, right, Greg? Wherever Greg went, yeah. Don't judge folks by the relatives. Remember that silence is sometimes the best answer. If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. And this is one that I thought was pretty insightful. Always drink upstream from the herd. Uh, you, Good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that comes from bad judgment. That's just an observation more than advice. Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. And the last one on their list was, if you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering somebody else's dog around. And you'll learn that doesn't work. Well, there's an awful lot of counsel that gets floated this time of year, and frankly, some of that in that list is better counsel than the be true to yourself and follow your heart kind of things that will get spoken. Graduation speeches all over the country uh, this month. But this is a big day. It's a big day for uh, a group crossing uh, the stage and stepping into adult life because, like I prayed, decisions that are made in this new season uh, of life are future-shaping. And so today I want to start a new series that's going to go through a few, uh, five weeks or so, uh, five or six weeks. Uh, in 2 Timothy, but I decided because it was graduation day that I would frame this first, uh, first study, first sermon through looking at 2 Timothy 1 uh, from the lens of great advice for grads. So if you've got a Bible or you've got the Bible app on your phone, if you would turn to 2 Timothy with me, we're going to be uh, looking at all of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 together this morning. In 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've never preached through the entire book of 2 Timothy. I have I preached different parts of it at different points, but never all the way through. And part of that is uh, personal uh, for me and personal in nature. 24 years ago, uh, this Wednesday actually, my uh, dad went home to be with the Lord. And one of the hardest sermons that I ever preached, but also the most meaningful in my, my memory, was to preach his funeral sermon. And I did so from pretty much the whole book of Second Timothy. 
There's so many different pieces in there where Paul talked to Timothy as his son and challenged him in life of ministry in ways that my dad influenced me. But you know, when you cross something like that, and it was a very, uh, very meaningful moment in my life, Second Timothy kind of took on a sacredness uh, for me at that point. Uh, and and so I've kind of left it alone all of these years. But with changes happening in my life and things that we talked about last Sunday, I decided this was a really good time uh, for me and I hope for us together uh, to look at some final thoughts from Paul's last words. And that's what Second Timothy represents. Um, if you got your Bible open there, we're going to start with just the first few a few verses. It starts in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now, lives in you also. Now, like I said, I want to, I've got most of the graduates pretty close. I gotta, there's Hannah back there, so I want to be able to see them and talk to them. I decided to write this, sort of address this as great advice for grads, but that doesn't mean the rest of you can doze off um, because it fits in all of our lives. It helps in all of our lives, but I think it's very fitting for graduates to consider. Uh, the letter uh, that is titled Second Timothy, it contains the final preserved words that we have from the Apostle Paul. Uh, as the book of Acts closed, the New Testament's history book, if you will, Paul was in prison. He was in prison in Rome. He had been sort of some trumped up charges by the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, had been transported all the way there and was waiting for his trial. But eventually he was exonerated. He was at least set free. And for the next few years, Paul kind of went off the grid. And we don't have a record of what happened to Paul. Where did he go and what did he do? There's different traditions. Uh, for instance, that he might have gone to Spain. He suggests he wanted to do that in the end of book, the book of Romans. He wrote about that. Uh, but we really don't know. We, we don't know where he, he went and how he served. But it was only a very brief window of time, a year or two. His freedom did not last long. Nero was the emperor uh, of Rome at the time. And in AD 64, uh, the burning of the capital city of Rome was blamed by Nero on Christians, this sect. They're the ones responsible. And uh, what followed was an aggressive persecution of the leadership of the movement of Christianity around the world. And it was during those next few years that Peter would be arrested. Peter would be crucified upside down by Nero in Rome. And Paul. Uh, Paul was arrested, soon would be beheaded around that same time. And this letter comes from that. It comes from that second imprisonment. It comes from that time when Paul knew hey, the end is coming. You know, the end is in sight. His life was on the very quick downward spiral. And so he picked up his pen, and I find it so interesting that he chose to write his last letter to his dear son in the faith, Timothy. 
Now, Timothy jumps in the story of the book of Acts uh, in Acts chapter 13. Timothy had been led to the Lord by Paul in the first missionary journey. He was from Lystra uh, in what is today Asia Minor. Uh, and on that second trip... In Acts 16, Paul recruited Timothy to come along, be a part of the part of the missionary crew, part of the team. And from Acts 16 onward, the two were inseparable. Uh, and Timothy and and Paul uh, was like father and son. Paul gave Timothy one of the hardest assignments that he had. I uh, gave him the responsibility of serving for time as the pastor in Ephesus while he was going through all this uh, imprisonment and, and, and that type of thing in his life. But, but Timothy was still kind of young and uh, it had not always gone well. And so now with the end in sight for Paul, he writes Timothy some, some last words of advice, some last words of insight and, and direction. And after that opening paragraph, identifying you know, who's writing and who's receiving that and some of the greetings there, um, he writes Timothy uh, this opening comment of personal appreciation. And I read it there. Verse 3 down through 5, you know, he said, I thank God every time I pray for you. Every time. I, I just so thankful to God for you, Timothy. I long to see you. It brings a smile to my face every time I remember how you responded to the gospel. And, and he emphasizes how he remembered that day. And he remembered how uh, the faith that resonated now in Timothy first started in his mom and started in his grandma and now lived in him. And while Paul is, is reflecting and thinking back on his, uh, his experience in watching Timothy uh, through his spiritual history, he's also modeling, modeling something for, for the young man uh, that I think is great advice for grads. And here's just the way that I worded the first thing on there. Be thankful and pray for the people who shaped your life spiritually. Be thankful and pray for the people who shaped your life spiritually. Paul was one of those people for Timothy. Um, but notice that Paul points to some other people. Timothy had an unbelieving dad. We know that from you know, the book of Acts and other, other places. But his mom and his grandma knew Jesus and that impacted Timothy. It made a difference in his life. Um, he was in ministry, and a lot of us can attest to the, these type of statements, but Timothy was where he was in his life then, and he was in ministry partly because of the influence of his mother and his grandmother, uh, spiritually. And I, and I hope that you guys, you grads, will take some time. I know it's busy. There's so much going on. We've got the open houses, right? And we've got all the, all the things that go with graduation season. But I hope that you will, with all the business in the next few weeks, that you'll pause and look back on your spiritual journey. That you really give that some thought. Um, Consider the people that God brought across your path. And hopefully starting with mom and dad and maybe grandparents. Um, but think about how those people shaped you spiritually. Influenced your life. Who led you to the Lord. Who invested in ministry so you could hear the gospel. Who poured time into your life so you'd make good spiritual decisions. Um, think about those people. Remember them. And do what Paul does there. Pray. Pray for them. Um, and 
again, and I'm going to do this as I walk through this whole sermon today, but that's bigger than just for graduates. It is healthy for every single one of us often to look back and realize we are where we are, we are who we are, because of the people God brought into our lives in the past. And um, we need to be thankful for that. We stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. Uh, and we ought to be thankful. We ought to th uh, uh, reflect that in prayer to God, praying for them and thanking God for them. But that's how it opens. Be thankful and pray for people who shaped your life spiritually. You go to verse 6 where we stopped and he uh, gets right into the advice part of things. Uh, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. A lot of Bible scholars have suggested that Timothy was a bit of an introverted uh, young man. Uh, he struggled with being up front, being the leader, being the one who others looked to. But Paul saw this potential in him from the earliest days crossing paths uh, with Timothy. He had been there to launch Timothy off into his ministry future. And here he reminds him of those days. You know, Timothy, you've been gifted by God. Uh, keep fanning that flame. Keep leaning into the power available in the Holy Spirit. Keep counting on Him to provide that fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the self-control. It was this prod, it was the, this reminder. Timothy, God's the one behind those talents and abilities that you have and gifting um, God is the one behind all of that. And the Holy Spirit was indwelling him and would enable him to do uh, what God called him to do. And Timothy needed that reminder. But all of us do. All of us do. And, and the second challenge is for the graduates. You know, at this point in life, I want you to think about it, but this is pretty clear for all of us. Serve God with the gifts he gave and by the grace he provides. Serve God with the gifts he gave and the grace he provides. There's an undeniable theme throughout the New Testament that every single person who puts their saving faith in Jesus uh, receives the Holy Spirit. Every true believer has the Spirit of God in them. We don't need to get more of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Often He does not have control of us uh, like we need to allow Him to have in our lives. But every true believer has the Spirit of God with them and in them all the time. Um, and also, it is an undeniable theme through the New Testament that everyone who, who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has been given skills and abilities, uh, gifts from God to accomplish God's work in this world. And so that's true for every single one of us. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have both the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, and you have, secondly, something that he has gifted you, that he has given you the abilities, something he wants you to be doing for him and for his work in our world. Um, and it's a pretty simple follow-up question. You know, are you relying on his spirit? And are you doing what God wants you to be doing to see his work accomplished? I think those are important questions for all of us. Um, and there are questions for graduates to consider. How are you using the gifts that you have to help God's work through our church succeed? Yeah, um, as Gary mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're at a, 
uh, a time that we haven't been as a church in 20 years. And in the next season, we need people to sort of step up and cover some things. Some things that I have done uh, that other people are going to need to do. From somebody with a detail-oriented eye who would look for... Um, pieces of the fence that have fallen down and need to be fixed or parts of the wall that need to be painted to somebody who will coordinate ministries like uh, children's church in the nursery. There are some needs that need to be done. And maybe one of those is something you should think about. Uh, we all ought to have some mission, some way that we're using our gifts, our abilities to see this church succeed. What's yours? What are you doing to see this church succeed? I have always, and I love this, um, being able to look back and see different young people that have grown up through our church, but I've always had a desire to see young people move through our church with a sense of ownership. And by that I mean not, um, this is the church mom and dad dragged me to, but this is my church. Um, one way that ownership is developed is that even as young people, they're serving. They're looking for how, okay, how am I gifted? What are the things I can do for God? Uh, what are my interests and abilities and how can I use those to further God's work? I love to see teens running the soundboard or um, helping to clean up the communion cups or shoveling the sidewalks in the wintertime or working in vacation Bible school. We, we, year after year after year, have so many teens that give up that week and make a difference because they have. Um, I love to see that because that means they're starting to sense, you know what, I've got something I can do here. This is my church. I've been gifted by God to do something in my church. Now, for graduates, you know, graduating can be a reckless uh, time spiritually, and a lot of us can maybe look back and realize that that was a dangerous season in our own lives. Very easily, young people um, step away from the structure of those first 12 years of schooling and, and uh, can easily slip away from church, easily slip away even from God. And I would challenge the graduates today um, to resist that. Resist the temptation to not be serving in a local church. But I really challenge all of us with the same thing. Um, serve God with the gifts He gave by the grace He provides. Third one on my list is this. Live your faith. Share your story even when there's pressure not to. Go to verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, His prisoner, Paul's saying. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed. And am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. 
until that day. Paul had a unique role in the early history of the church. He was an apostle of special calling. His pre-salvation life involved being Christianity's uh, greatest opponent. He was a religious zealot as a Jew that just hated Jesus and hated this movement that Jesus had started. And he did some things in those years that, that in his later years he deeply regretted. But he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life just spun around 180 degrees. And this, this Christian hater becomes the chief spokesman for Christianity, the chief representative, the point person for spreading the gospel to Gentiles and would be a notable martyr uh, for the cause. He knew his calling as an apostle, as a herald of the gospel, and he knew also, like he writes there, that that's kind of what, that's why he's locked up right now. Everybody else knew that too. Um, but I, I want you to notice, he starts and he ends uh, his challenge the same way. He talks about not being ashamed. Not being ashamed. He didn't want Timothy to be ashamed of his own relationship, his own personal testimony with God, with Jesus Christ. He wanted him to stand boldly and speak boldly about Jesus. Nor did he want him to be ashamed of his relationship with Paul. Um, and, you know, that last verse that I read there is the basis for that hymn that we sang at the end of our, of our praise team time. Great words there. There's no cause for shame. There's no cause for embarrassment. Because we know whom we believe in and we have complete confidence in Christ and in His ability to keep the promises He's made to us. We have hope like others do not have. And God's mission will accomplish what God intends in this world. But for him to talk twice there to Timothy about shame just highlights how powerful an emotion it is. And we all struggle with it probably at times. Um, young people maybe especially often feel pressure more intensely to not stand out, to, to not be obvious, to not speak up about faith, to not live holy lives, to avoid getting labeled because that's a big thing in our world. There's a lot of pressure today on young people especially not to live their faith or share their story. And to our graduates and to our other teens that are up here, I want to just challenge you, push back on that. Push back on that pressure. Um, every month there is a, some tagline attached to the month anymore. Some of them are worth celebrating, some of them probably aren't, but uh, I found this earlier uh, in May, that May is uh, Volcano Awareness Month. That's not something that we need to necessarily worry about too much around here, volcanoes. But uh, in the state of Washington, they do. And I saw this on the 1st of May. The Washington State DNR made the Twitter post. May is Volcano Awareness Month. We have volcanoes. You are now aware. See you next May. Um, they proceeded, though, to post this interesting graphic. You know, um, Mount St. Helens is in Washington State, and I remember when that erupted. That was like 43 years ago. Uh, but I didn't realize this, that there are actually five different uh, active volcanoes in the Cascade Mountains, all in the state of Washington. So they've got a pretty good reason to say, you need to be aware of this. Uh, because the point of it was, though it's been 43 years since Mount St. Helens erupted, um, that could happen again. And all it takes, all it takes is pressure. All it would take is too much pressure building up and some really bad things happen. We all know about pressure. 
Uh, pressure happens in a lot of different ways. And young people, graduates, you guys face pressure. Uh, pressure to conform, pressure to fit in, pressure to go along with the thinking, the worldview, the perspective of our times. A part of that pressure will be to silence your faith and neutralize your salvation story. And knowing that pressure will come and is coming, um, being aware that, that it is a part of this world, it can be a big help because you can decide before, I'm not going to buckle under the pressure. Um, decide beforehand that as you step out into life and you face job settings and, and college settings and peers in person and online, that you're not going to give in to the pressure to minimize your faith. Live your faith and share your story even when there's pressure not to. Next couple verses are, are well known. But he wrote this in verse 13. What you've heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul and Timothy, they'd spent an awful lot of time together. They had talked in the journeys of life, but Paul, Timothy had also sat under Paul's teaching every place where they stopped and he taught. Uh, at every church, at every evangelistic setting along the way, Timothy had been exposed over and over again to Paul's explanation, his sermons. Uh, uh, he had been exposed to sound doctrine through the exposition of God's Word. And, and he reminds him, you know what? Life can get hard. Things will get shaky. Here's the one thing to stand on. Stand on. Guard. Guard the truth of God's Word. And I really think that that is a piece of advice for all of us to hang on to. Stand firm on the truth of what God has to say um, in an increasingly shaky world. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you with the faith and love of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Stand firm on God's truth. Uh, and it is enormously relevant today. We live in an era where truth has been redefined as pretty much every person's personal opinion. You have your truth, I have my truth. But truth is no such thing that way. Truth is objective reality. And the one place that you find truth with complete reliability... Uncertainty is the Word of God. Uh, though culturally, um, the Bible is viewed as a religious sidelight and sort of disconnected from um, progressive culture, it is unchanging and it is unchangeable truth. In everything that the Bible addresses, not just you know how to know God, but everything the Bible addresses, from uh, science, nature, where this world came from, to the moral framework of how to live life and how to function as individuals and relationships and marriage and family, all of that is expounded on for us in God's Word. And we need to go there first and stand there the longest Later in this, in this letter, 2 Timothy 3, it's a really important verse in the New Testament where Paul said, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired of God. Um, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so many important words in there, but all Scripture... 
all Scripture, every word is inspired by God. What you find on every page of the Bible uh, and in every verse of uh, this book is the exact wording that God wanted passed on to you and passed on to me. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it enables us to understand what truth is, what accurate doctrine is, by finding it in here. It enables us to notice what's wrong in our lives, things that are not in alignment with God's desires and God's will, because we find those things in here. It helps us, uh, it shows us how to fix those things, and it tells us how to live the right way in a wrong-headed world. It's all right in here. God's truth. All Scripture comes from the very breath of God and therefore is completely without error, completely reliable to shape what we believe, but also how we live our lives. And I can't emphasize this enough. Following what the Bible says will form the best path to the best life in a bonkers world. Um, I find it kind of interesting how every once in a while somebody says something that aligns completely with biblical truth and it makes a bunch of people in the world go crazy. Um, this past month, Harrison Butker uh, gave a speech. Harrison Butker is the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. I know we have a few Kansas City Chiefs fans in the room. Uh, he kicked the winning, game, um, winning field goal in this year's Super Bowl, which I can applaud. Uh, he kicked some winning game field goals in other games in the past few years that I can't applaud because who he beat in the process. But in any case, uh, that's all sidelight. Um, Butker earlier this month was asked to come back to his alma mater, Georgia Tech, and give the commencement address. And I want to share just a, a little bit. Uh, this is, these are his words. Um, he said, I am someone not much older than all of you, yet I've been asked to speak, not because I'm a great orator or because I have a number of impressive accolades. Well, I guess I do have two Super Bowl rings, he said, and the crowd laughed. I just happen to be blessed by God to be really good at kicking a funny-shaped ball between two yellow posts. So as someone who is not paid to speak for a living, I'm about to pop off some hard truths. He said this, I don't care if you have a successful career, I don't care if you have a big bank account or you fly private. Many of you in this crowd will achieve those things. Some of you may already have. But in the end, no matter how much money you attain, none of it will matter if you are alone and devoid of purpose. He said, studies have shown one of the many negative effects of the pandemic is that a lot of young adults feel a sense of loneliness, anxiety, and depression despite technology that has connected us more than ever before. It would seem the more connected people are to one another, the more they feel alone. I'm not sure the root of this, but at least I can offer one controversial antidote that I believe will have a lasting impact for generations to come. And this was the one sentence that was most controversial in all of Butker's speech. This was his, uh, his main piece of advice that he described as a controversial antidote that will have a lasting impact for generations to come. He said this, get married and start a family. Now that drew some limited cheers from the crowd. 
And Butker pointed to his wedding ring, saying it was more important than the ones he received with the chiefs. But it amazed me how that made the news, how that seemed so controversial in our world. Get married, have kids, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We live in a society in which things that like that, they used to be common sense, right? Based in a Judeo-Christian ethic of morality, used to be common sense. Now are viewed as controversial. Um, but that has been a biblical worldview from the very beginning. God created men and women, brought them together to commit to each other for a lifetime, and then raise kids. Raise kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I share it as just one example. One example about how our world has gone so far afield, so far askew from biblical truth. What does God's Word say? And principles of morality and truth and spirituality and family, they're all right here. But we live in this world that is so shaky and so different. And I want to challenge our graduates, and I want to challenge all of us, stand firm here. Stand firm in what God says. Don't get swayed. Stand firm on God's truth in an increasing, increasingly shaky world. I've got one last one, and this one's going to require some explanation. You're going to want to write carefully. Be an Onesiphorus, not those other guys. Be an Onesiphorus. Uh, verse 15 says this. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now that's the only time in the Bible that those two guys are mentioned. How would you like to be Phygelus or Hermogenes? First of all, those names are terrible. Having to write checks with one of those two names on there would be very difficult. But secondly, their names are forever recorded in Scripture. And this is the only place they're mentioned. Forever recorded in Scripture as two guys that bailed on the Apostle Paul. Two guys that abandoned him. Now, they're not alone because, you know, Paul said there that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Um, but these two guys get called out as individuals that walked away, that turned their back. When he needed help, they weren't there for him. Um, here he is sitting in prison, cold, alone, destitute. And think about that. Think, just put yourself in that. The people that he had cared about, that he had invested in, some that he'd even led to Jesus, bailed on him. But there's one that didn't, and that's verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he'll find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in, in Ephesus. Onesiphorus was possibly a deacon in the church at Ephesus. What it, the word that is translated helped is actually the Greek word for deaconing. But more than that, he was a faithful friend to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had sought Paul out in Rome, provided for him over and over again. He wasn't ashamed. He put himself at great risk 
to track him down and help him out while he was in prison. He was a tremendous example of the type of person to strive to emulate. And that's what my, why my challenge is that last one, be an Onesiphorus. Be a person who puts the effort into encouraging others, helping others, being there for others when they need you, uh, serving others. You'll not only make a difference in their lives, but you may also leave a legacy. Um, years ago, I think soon after I came here to Everett, our ministerial association would give out uh, gifts to, at baccalaureate to the, uh, to the graduates that kind of went on the wayside. But I do remember early on in those years, uh, we, would, we gave out one year, maybe we had enough to give it on a second year too, but we gave out the little book written by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. I don't know if any of you ever read that before. It's been around for almost 100 years. And I didn't know this until recently, but that book was published several years after Oswald Chambers died. Uh, he died at the young age of 43. Uh, Chambers was a Baptist evangelist in the holiness uh, tradition during the late 1800s. Um, he and his wife Biddy were married in 1910. And they started a Bible college in London. And for five years, Oswald Chambers taught in that Bible college, and his wife, Biddy, took notes, uh, wrote down the kind of things that he said to the students every single day in chapel and different classes. Uh, World War I came around and the couple and their young daughter moved to Egypt because he was a chaplain. Uh, but in 1917, while they were there, Oswald contracted appendicitis and, and died, just 43 years of age. And if that had been all there was to the story of Oswald Chambers, likely nobody would be talking about him today. Nobody would know who he was. He wouldn't have a Wikipedia page uh, on the internet if that was all there was to the story. No one would remember Oswald Cham Chambers. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because after his death, Biddy took those notes, compiled them into a book, had them published under her husband's name in 1935. And that book, My Utmost for His Highest, has sold 13 million copies in the past 90 years. It's been translated into 39 different languages. Um, incredible impact. Chambers' words have been influencing people for 90 years. Well, why? Because his wife, unnoticed, unknown, unheralded, did the hard work of writing all that down, sharing what he had spoken, serving his memory, and leaving a legacy. Biddy was the behind-the-scenes unknown spouse, like a lot of pastors' wives are. But without her, nobody today would know of Oswald Chambers. She was an anesophorus. And that's the challenge. Be like that. Be a person that puts other people first. Be a person that, that is committed to doing whatever you need to do to make the lives of others better. And you might be amazed what God will do through that. Different moments in life are pivot points. Graduation is definitely one of those. Um, but you know, we pass potential pivot points all the time. 
opportunities to make decisions that will shape our day, that will direct our lives, that will influence our families, uh, maybe uh, impact others for the cause of Christ. Pivot points you encounter all the time. And this week you're going to encounter a few. Can I challenge you? Hang on to what Paul had to say to Timothy when you come to those. Remember those who've shaped you. Be thankful for them. Serve God with your gifting. Consider how he wants you to make a difference. Share your story without shame, despite pressure. Stand firm on God's truth and be a person that blesses people. Whether you're a 2023 graduate or one for whom that is in a long distant rearview mirror, um, those insights will serve you well. To live the best life, point the most people to our Savior, but they will only make a difference if you absorb them, you use them, and live them this week. I last little blurb there at the bottom of your handout, how to apply it beyond the graduating class. Every one of us would be wise to implement the insights of this chapter as we navigate the next season. But it only helps if we ask the harder questions like the last one, what should you do? What should you do? What should you do differently this week to apply God's truth to your life? I'm going to close with a hymn here in just a minute, but let's pray together for a second before we do. Father God, thank you so much. Uh, for the words of Paul to a young friend, uh, written in such a way that provides a challenge 2,000 years later to every one of us, there are ways that every single one of us need to consider what Paul challenged Timothy with, things that we need to plug in in our lives. It is very applicable for our graduates in this season of life for them, but it filters down to every single person here. So help us consider, how is it that your word touched my heart today? And what do I need to do? How do I need to respond to make a difference, to be the person you've called me to be, to influence my world in my time? God, help us be open to that, but then consider what we should do to live lives that are firm on the foundation of your word. In Jesus' name.